mornings here at New Day, and uh, the the heart behind these next two weeks is really to um, have more of a class format, have more of a um, session where we can come together and just really um, learn some more about God's Word, learn some more about the Scriptures, and um, we're hoping that this is part of an ongoing series at New Day where we offer different classes that um, also work in partnership with our Sunday morning uh, worship services where we hear Pastor Cameron preaching and then also with our life groups so that together at New Day uh, for people who are attending regularly and members at New Day so that all of these things can hopefully work together to really um, help you and help all of us grow together in our understanding of who God is. Um, I already kind of made reference to the guide that we have for you this morning, and this is um, going to be really helpful. It's got a timeline on the second page that has a lot of detail in there, and we're hoping that as we go through this morning that the timeline and the, um, the notes and hopefully what's on the, the slides and what we talk about, all of that will kind of come together and help you get a better understanding of the Old Testament. And that this week we're focusing on the Old Testament, next week we're focusing on the New Testament, and the goal is really to um, do what's called a chronological uh, look at the Bible, and um, that really is just one trying to, to achieve a couple of main goals. One is to really piece together the events of the Bible. What are the major events that happen throughout Scripture? What order do they happen in? And, uh, and also, who are the main people who are talked about in Scripture, and how do they fit into this big picture of the story of the Bible? So a couple of things just right at the start. Um, you will, it will feel today as if we are really moving along very quickly, and that uh, we're going to cover large periods of time, and we're going to talk about major uh, people in the Old Testament, and we're going to do it pretty quickly. And the reason for that is we want to keep moving forward. We don't really want to get um, stuck in any one place in the Old Testament, even though that would be really fun to do that and really worthwhile. The goal for today is to give you the big picture. And if we can't get you from Genesis all the way to Malachi, then we're not going to be able to give you the whole big picture. So the goal is that we're going to keep moving. And hopefully you are going to um, have a much better sense of how everything fits together. And uh, why we're doing that is, is it's easy to come to church every week and to hear stories of different people. So you might hear a story about Abraham. You might hear a story about David. You might hear a story about Elijah. And, you know, you might be familiar with that story. But where does their story fit into the larger story of what God is doing in the Bible? How does that relate to other things that are happening in Scripture? And at what point in the story is that happening? And so sometimes you can read and you can know an individual story. Sometimes it's even from back as a child. You might have learned that in Sunday school, and you might be familiar with that story, but you maybe don't know how that fits into the larger story. So this morning, we're going to try to show you how that happens and how the, the uh, different characters in Scripture and how the different events kind of work together. So if it feels like we're going really fast and we're not spending enough time on your favorite Bible character, then the reason is we are moving uh, intentionally very quickly through the, the material this morning so that we can really piece together the larger picture for you. So as we start, I want you to take a couple of minutes and I want you to think about maybe one or two people in the Old Testament or a couple of different events in the Old Testament that you aren't really sure about. You really don't know very much about them. 
or maybe you've read in your Bible and you're just curious about who those people were and what they did, or maybe you aren't really sure exactly the timeline of the Old Testament, and maybe your your question or your comment right away is, I just don't know <laughs> the, the story of the Old Testament events. I'm just not really that sure how everything fits together. So if you want to take a minute or two and just write down any questions about any people that you have, any events that you can think of, and if you can't think of any specifics, then maybe your question is, I just am not really that sure how the whole thing fits together. Maybe you feel pretty good about the overall story, but there's different parts of it that you're not sure about. And then as we go through this morning, that's kind of like your checklist that hopefully we will check many of those, if not all of those people and those events off of your list to help you piece all of that together. So if you want to just take a minute and think about that, and uh, there's a section where you can write um, notes for this first session. And so if you have a couple of names or a couple of events or a couple of questions that come to mind about the Old Testament that you would like us to try to answer for you this morning as we go through, then that's your space to write that down. And so give you a second to do that. So one of the first questions that's good to ask as we're doing this story of the Bible and story of the Old Testament is this first question of what is the Old Testament about? What, what is the story of the Old Testament? What types of things does it cover? Well, the story of the Old Testament starts out with the uh, creation story of how God has created all things. And we'll look at that um, in just a moment in, in more detail. But it starts off with this idea that God created everything. And yet, because of the fall, everything was absolutely corrupted through, through sin coming into the world. Uh, one thing that we learn very early in the Old Testament story is that humanity is created in God's image. That male and female were made in the image of God. And that God has this incredibly unique and close relationship with humanity that is then fundamentally altered uh, through the fall and through sin coming into the world. The rest of the Old Testament is in one sense God's story of redemption starting to unfold. It's God's story of putting things right. And so the story of the Old Testament starts in this incredibly um, just amazing and, and, and rich uh, story for the first couple of chapters with the creation account. And that sets the ideal of God's relationship uh, with the earth and with humanity. And then that very quickly becomes corrupted through the fall and then the rest of this story of the Old Testament is God beginning to work with people to restore relationship. And as we'll see, he begins with Abraham. He begins with one person. And from that one person then comes the nation of Israel. And he works with the nation of Israel to begin to see this plan of restoration where God and humanity can be brought into close relationship together. And we begin to see through the nation of Israel all of these different events that happen in time and in, in different places 
in order for God to bring restoration between himself and, and his people. And Israel is really a picture of what relationship between God and humanity is supposed to be like. And so the story is pretty relentlessly focused on the descendants of Abraham because the descendants of Abraham are the ones whom God has chosen as a picture of what this new relationship with humanity and God will be like. So the Old Testament, you get these senses of there's other nations and there's other stories and there's other history that is happening in the region. And you'll hear about the, the Philistines and the Assyrians and the people living in Moab and Edom. And you'll catch snippets of all these other stories. But the Bible is very relentlessly focused on the story of Israel and the story of the Israelites. And sometimes it can be a little frustrating because you wish you knew some of these other stories that were happening kind of in the background. But the Bible writers are incredibly focused on the story of what God is doing with Israel. And really the Old Testament is that story of what God is doing with Israel as an example of what God wants to do for all of humanity. And where did the Old Testament come from? Well, the Old Testament was first communicated by people speaking it, people hearing it, and people memorizing. And so as the Israelites would start to um, gather these stories, they would hear this spoken and uh, people would, s would tell, they would retell the story of creation. They'd retell the story of the Exodus. They would retell the story of Moses receiving the law at Mount Sinai. And that would be heard, and, and, and children would often learn massive amounts of the Old Testament. Uh, they would be able to recite it word for word. And uh, when we see next week with the Apostle Paul, it's possible that people would even learn the entire Old Testament and be able to recite just chunks of the Old Testament very, very easily. That was the culture. And so people, for generation after generation, would pass the Old Testament along um, using that method. And that was very common for that time period. It wasn't just the Israelites that were doing that. And then later with writing and with um, papyrus and, and clay tablets and all of those different, what were new technologies at the time for capturing words and stories, then each of those um, things would be captured and would be written down. By the time of David and Solomon, most of these stories were beginning to be really um, properly written and, and, and kept and preserved on scrolls uh, so that these stories would be preserved in a very kind of official um, historical record. And so all of this passing of these stories along and passing of the scriptures then was what's called codified and, and really brought into a much more... Um, uh, kind of historical record during the time of the monarchy, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit later on. And so today we have these very um, historically reliable um, pieces of scripture, fragments of scripture that are on scrolls, that are, that are on clay tablets, and there's a, a great deal of archaeological kind of evidence and things that come together to give us the Old Testament as it currently exists. And so we can have a lot of confidence with the Old Testament's record as it appears in our English scriptures taken from the original Hebrew language that's been preserved for us. Um, the Israelites had a very, very close relationship with, um, with just this whole idea of, of language and passing down of the scriptures. And so as we receive these stories, they're a very rich account for us. The Old Testament itself was split into um, different sections, and we're going to deal with those sections kind of one at a time this morning. So this first session, by the time we finish, we are going to have covered the first five books of the Old Testament, which is commonly known as the Law, also known as the Pentateuch, also known as the Torah, depending on which 
which label you want to use. Those are just different labels, and they're all labels for the same part of Scripture, for this Genesis through to the end of Deuteronomy. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to spend a little bit more time in the Genesis and Exodus parts of this story, and then we're going to very quickly cover Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. The reason for that is that it's in Genesis and Exodus that we really see the beginnings of the story emerge in a very, very rich and very real sense, especially in Genesis. It's really the book of beginnings. So let's, let's turn to Genesis and let's, let's begin to think about Genesis a little bit more. So you open your Bible, and what does the first words of our scripture say? In the beginning, God created. And that is the beginning of, of, the, of the story of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. Now, in the original language in Hebrew, they actually don't have the word the. They don't have the definite article there, and it just reads in beginning. So sometimes we really um, can get sidetracked by the, the science debate. When exactly did the earth begin? How old exactly is the earth? And often those discussions can sidetrack us from, from the, real, the real meaning that is communicated in this very first verse, in this very first chapter, of our Bibles. And really what the Hebrew says is in beginning. They're not too worried about when that exact point in time was. What they're communicating to us is that God is the creator of all things. He created all things from nothing. And that he is the one who is the source of all life and all existence. That is really the start of the story. Our story starts with God himself who creates all things and that's the fundamental starting point. And as you go through the story of creation, you see that God creates the heavens, he creates the earth, he creates the fish, the birds, the sea, the air, he fills them, he creates all of these animals. But ultimately, creation is becoming more and more complex, and the high point of creation is humanity. And there's something unique about humanity. We are made male and female in the image of God. And by the end of that first chapter in Genesis, we see this pattern established where creation itself is good. Creation is good. God created a, a good creation that was free from corruption. It was a very good place. And the pinnacle of that creation was, was you and I. It was humanity created in God's image. And he created us to live in unique relationship with him. And so when you hear sermons and, um, you know, different uh, stories as, as people explain the Bible, often they'll go back to Genesis, to the creation story, because it's in those first two chapters in Genesis that we have a picture of what our relationship with God was supposed to be, where we see that closeness of relationship. Now, when you turn the page to Genesis chapter 3, something incredibly dramatic happens where you have the fall and the willful disobedience of Adam and Eve where they go against God's word and sin and death and corruption comes into God's good creation and in that moment there are so many um, things that begin to uh, to begin to spiral out of control in some ways in the story of the Bible very quickly you have the story of the first murder. Very quickly you have people um, living in opposition to each other and cities being built and all of these different groups of people who basically cannot get along with each other and certainly cannot get along with God. 
the first 11 chapters of Genesis are what we call kind of the prehistory period. If you're reading in Genesis 1 to 11, you'll, as you read, you'll say, this, this part of scripture feels really different to me. People live for an incredibly long amount of time. People, people's lives seem to last forever in that first, those first 11 chapters of Genesis. You have these strange stories of, of, of giants roaming the land. You have the story of Noah and the flood where God is so absolutely fed up with humanity because they've become so corrupted that he decides that he will just start over again with Noah and his family. And then you have at the end of Genesis chapter 11 the story of the Tower of Babel where humanity comes together and they say, you know, we're going to you know, if, if God is very far off from us, then we're going to fix that problem ourselves, and we are going to build a way to get back to God. Through our own effort and through our own ingenuity, we are going to reach God if he will not reach us. And what happens is God comes, and he thwarts their plans, and he scatters them. And uh, I remember from Sunday school seeing a little cartoon where um, one person is speaking French and one speak person is speaking Spanish as they try to build the Tower of Babel. And I don't know if they had French and Spanish back then, but probably not. But it's an example of where God comes and thwarts their language, right? So they can't communicate with each other and they are spread out across the earth. If you are reading scripture and you have never read the story before, if you had just opened your Bible, you had no idea what the Bible was, no idea what the story would unfold to be, and you opened your Bible and you got to the end of Genesis 11, you would be amazingly depressed. You would say, "What? where is this story going? There is no hope for humanity. And at the end of Genesis 11 is one of the darkest passages of Scripture because God has tried to create this good and perfect creation, and humanity, every step of the way, has completely thwarted any attempt that God has put in place to live with humanity. Humanity cannot get along with each other, and the only time they can come together is whenever they want to uh, build this, this Tower of Babel to reach God and to kind of take things into their own hands. So at the end of Genesis 11, it's a very, very sorry picture. Humanity is living in opposition to each other and living in opposition to God. And Genesis chapter 12 is a, is a huge turning point. Now one other thing we should throw in here in our chronological look at the Old Testament is in these, these first 11 chapters, uh, like I said, it's this prehistory time. There's, you know, the way that the stories are told feel very different. Well, Many uh, Bible scholars think that during this time is when the story of Job occurred. And so Job, as you may know, is, is a book about um, Job as an individual dealing with, with essentially injustice and suffering. And you might remember that story where um, everything is going well in Job's life and suddenly everything of, of value is taken from him and he's afflicted by illness and his friends are of no comfort whatsoever. And uh, Job gets pretty angry with God, and it's a, it's a story dealing with injustice and dealing with suf human suffering. It's incredibly difficult to accurately know where that story happened in time. There's no historical, real historical indicators to give us a sense of when that happened. 
And so just based on different snippets from the story, scholars have said it probably happened during this early period of, of, the, of the Bible. And, um, and really, in some ways, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter that we know where the story of Job occurred because this whole dealing with human suffering, dealing with injustice, dealing with you know, the questioning of God over some of life's deepest issues, that's a universal message, and that's a universal theme. And so we're going to kind of throw in the book of Job here in these first 11 chapters as we go through because many people have done that as they have looked at the book of Job. And um, in some ways, Job is one of the oldest stories that we have uh, in the Old Testament. So I mentioned a moment ago that Genesis chapter 12 is a huge turning point um, in our story of Scripture. And why that is the case is it's the call of Abraham. And so remember all the chaos and just everything that's happening at the end of Genesis chapter 11, and the nations are scattered, and they're in opposition to God. And God says, okay, it's time to start all over again with one person. And you may remember that he did that before with Noah, except that he had gotten so fed up with the rest of humanity that he had the flood come in. But this time it's different because God shows mercy and grace on humanity. He doesn't send a flood again. You remember he had promised not to do that after, after the original flood. And he says to Abraham, you know, that I am going to choose you. And he gives Abraham these very distinct promises of how he is going to relate to Abraham and then also how he's going to relate to Abraham's descendants. So in this first section of Genesis chapter 12, he gives Abraham these three promises that Abraham's descendants will inherit a particular land, and that land was Canaan. He said that Abraham would have descendants, and he also said that Abraham would be a blessing to all people. So these three elements of, that we find in Genesis chapter 12, the promise of land, the promise of descendants, and the promise of blessing to all people, those are like three strands that start in Genesis chapter 12 and they weave their way through the rest of the Bible. So much of what we know about Christ is the fulfillment of promise. So much of what we know about Christ being the hope for all nations. So much of what we know um, about God and his relating to humanity goes back to this incident in Genesis chapter 12 where God chooses one person. And Abraham was not a godly person seeking after, after God. Abraham was, was a worshiper of probably the moon and the stars. And I mean, he was a pagan before God came and spoke to him and called him. But God comes in in a very dramatic and a very personal way and speaks to Abraham and sets off the story of the rest of the Old Testament. And you see this begin to unfold in great detail throughout, certainly throughout the remainder of the, of the law section of Scripture. But it continues and it continues and it continues throughout all of Scripture. And Paul in the New Testament even references the life of Abraham in a very significant way as a story of relationship of faith with God. So these, these ideas of a land to settle in, descendants coming from Abraham— and blessing for all nations become major pillars on which the Old Testament story rests. So you know the story of Abraham and Sarah and their struggle to have children, and then eventually they have the child of promise, and they have Isaac. 
And so this is a period known as the patriarch period, period or the patriarchal period. And patriarchal, just obviously that word for, for father figure or father. And basically you have these, these patriarchs. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So each a descendant from the other. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob become shorthand for who God is. Now in the Old Testament in Hebrew, there's a couple of different names for God. When you're reading the Old Testament in Hebrew, you'll see the name Elohim, and that's kind of the generic Hebrew word for God. But there's also the personal name for God, which is revealed to Moses at the start of Exodus, which is, which is sometimes spoken of as Yahweh or Jehovah. And Yahweh and Jehovah are interchangeable. You can use either one is, is right. And this personal name for God is, is a name that you see throughout Scripture. And God will very... Um, deliberately tie himself in terms of identity to being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so as the Israelites and the descendants of Abraham would go and they would be trading in foreign lands as they would be interacting with different people, they would say, what God do you worship? Well, I worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that would mean something. People would be able to know what that meant. And so God is, is bringing himself, choosing to be in close relationship during this period, setting a pattern of being in close relationship with these patriarchs. Now when we get to Jacob, we see that Jacob has lots of sons, right? He has the 12 sons and their names then become the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. By the end of Genesis, the story really focuses on Jacob's descendants and mainly on Joseph. At the end of Genesis, we find Joseph and you know that story is taken into slavery. He becomes a ruler in the land. And what happens in that story is you begin to see the developing of the descendants of Abraham. So remember, descendants is one part of that promise that God gives to Abraham. We see that start to be fulfilled. We start to see descendants coming at the end of Genesis. We start to see these 12 sons having their own families, and we start to see all of these descendants of Abraham. And so that part of the promise starts to be, starts to be realized by the end of Genesis. But if you remember your story, you'll know that they're in Egypt. And so one of the major problems at the end of Genesis, this book of beginnings, is that though we see the beginnings of the nation of Israel, they're in the wrong land. They're in the wrong territory. They're in the land of Egypt. And so right away we have one of the problem, major problems that happens in this promise that's given to Abraham, where even though, he, yes, he's having descendants, they're in the wrong land. And so at the end of Genesis, you don't see the land promise being fulfilled, and you don't see the blessing promise being fulfilled. So right now, we're one for three on the blessings given to Abraham. And at the very, very end of the story of Genesis, it closes with the death of Joseph. And it ends with the families being gathered around as um, he is uh, put to rest in Egypt. This leads us to the start of the book of Exodus. And as Exodus, the book of Exodus opens, the people of Israel are still in Egypt. Time has passed. The descendants' promise given to Abraham continues to be fulfilled. The nation of Israel is growing, and yet they're still in the wrong land. But now they're also worshiping the wrong king because Pharaoh puts them into slavery. 
They're also working on these building projects for Pharaoh. Their their work is is dominated by Pharaoh, and and there's all of these different conditions associated with the slavery that Pharaoh has the people under, that are beginning to really threaten these promises given to Abraham. And if you're wondering what's the driving force behind the events in Scripture, uh, what what's driving the story on? What's driving the story on in this part of Scripture is when will these three promises to Abraham be fulfilled? God has spoken them. God, God was in covenant relationship, close relationship with Abraham. God has tied himself to the fulfillment of these promises. When will this happen? And that's the driving force between this part of, in this part of Scripture. So if you're reading this kind of chronologically, you can anticipate at some point the nation of Israel is going to have to come out of Egypt. It's really a question of, of in, in what way is that going to happen and how soon is that going to happen? Well, you know the story where God calls Moses the burning bush. And he says to Moses, you're going to lead the people out. And Moses says, no, no way. There's no way I can do that. And he says, all right. He said, you're going to go anyway, but instead your brother Aaron's going to help you. All right, so they go back and they face Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, no way, these people are, 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 are my slaves. They're building these magnificent cities for me. There's no way if I'd be foolish to let them go. What happens next? We have the ten plagues that God sends, and they get increasingly worse and increasingly worse, and the tenth plague is the plague where we have the death of the firstborn, and that's the night, that Passover night, where the exodus happens, where Pharaoh finally relents and lets the people go. And that was a really terrible, terrible event. It really was, but it was also an amazing part of the story where God demonstrates his faithfulness to Abraham and to the promise he gave to Abraham. And he said, nothing will stand in my way. Not even Pharaoh, the leader of the most powerful nation on earth, will stand in my way. These people must be freed, and they must come into freedom to worship me. And so this event, this Exodus story, is really considered the birth of the nation of Israel, where they come out of slavery, and they come into freedom. They cross the Red Sea in that dramatic story where the waters come in and sweep Pharaoh's army away. And they find themselves coming out in this Passover Exodus event, into a new life where they stand on one side of the Red Sea, Pharaoh and Egypt is behind them, and they stand on the edge of the wilderness. And you might say, great, they're in the new land, they're in the land they're supposed to have. Well, they're not quite there yet. They're in the wilderness, but they're not in the land of Canaan yet, but they're on their way. Now, one other big piece to this story is that you remember the, pr the promise of descendants. Well, if you remember back to the start of the story with Pharaoh, Pharaoh wanted to kill all of the male children of the Israelites. Now, if you remember that story, and Moses is miraculously preserved in the basket. But that's another example of the promise given to Abraham being threatened and God ma making sure that he is faithful to his word and that those promises would be fulfilled. Or even Pharaoh wanting to kill the, the, um, kill the male um, Hebrew Israelite um, children, which would obviously threaten this promise of descendants coming from Abraham, where God came in and said, that will not happen either. There's nothing you can do 
the stop, this driving force of these three promises being fulfilled. And that is the driving force behind this part of the story. So Exodus, we get the people of Israel out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. And you would think, great, the hardest part of this is, is achieved. What is next? Well, part of what Moses had said to Pharaoh was, this people want to go and worship God at Mount Sinai. So the first stop on the journey is Mount Sinai. And this was a, uh, a mountain that the, the people of Israel went to, and they camped at the base of that mountain. And here we have another incredibly significant moment. We have the giving of the law. The giving of the law. And so um, we consider all of the Genesis to Deuteronomy to be law. And technically it's called the law. In our, in our Bibles, we, we understand it as the law. And that's, that's really what we, um, and that's really an accurate way to talk about it. But embedded within that section of scripture, the Genesis to, to Deuteronomy, you have these very particular historical incidents where God gives direct laws to Moses. You have these moments where God, where God and, and Moses, you have these moments where God and Moses meet and the law is received. And then that is later what is written down and recorded for us in scripture. So in the Old Testament, what is known to us as the Ten Commandments is given to Moses during this time. So the people go and they camp at the bottom of Mount Sinai and Moses goes up into the mountain, into the clouds, and he receives the Ten Commandments and he comes down, he has the, 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 the tablets of clay and God has written on these tablets of clay. I mean, that's an incredible thing to think about that God wrote these laws on the tablets of clay. And this event is known as, and this is known as the Ten Words in Hebrew. So we know it as the Ten Commandments, it's the Ten Words, and, and this is at the very heart of the law that is given to Moses. But it's not all of the law that's given to Moses. There's so much more that is given to him. You have the law that's given, but you also have this, this thing called the, the Book of the Covenant that's given to Moses. There's all of these different things that Moses receives during this time. Now, you might think that Moses went up uh, to get the Ten Commandments, and it was, a pretty quick, it was a pretty quick event. That Moses went up, that him and God, you know, who knows exactly what that looked like, but he came, you know, Moses came down pretty quick. The reality is Moses was up there for a really long time. A really long time. And so the people began day after day to wonder, what happened to Moses? The top of that mountain looks pretty scary. There's a cloud. We, don't, we can't see what's going on. What do you think's happened? Aaron, what do you think happened to your brother? Aaron, what's going on up there? And day after day went by, Moses is waiting to receive the law from God. The people are getting restless. And what happens? The people eventually say, you know what? This isn't working out. God's clearly, you know, Moses, something must have happened to Moses, and God's clearly not. This isn't working. We've got to somehow kind of work this out ourselves, and we've got to figure out who truly was the God who delivered us, because I don't, we, we don't know about this God right here who's, who's meeting with Moses. We don't know what's happening. And so you remember the story, they had left Egypt and they had actually plundered all of this gold and jewelry and f riches from the, uh, the Egyptians had said, we want you to leave. Hey, take all of these, take all of our stuff as well. We just, we want to be so rid of you. Take all of this stuff with you. So they had these 
jewelry and ear they had all this gold and so Aaron said all right he said I give me all your gold and uh, we'll we'll make something of it and they make the golden calf and so then Aaron fashions this golden calf and the people worship the golden calf and they say you great golden calf you are the one who led us out of Egypt so Moses comes down from the mountaintop and he's you remember he's so mad what does he do he breaks the clay that God has written on so Moses must have had a really close relationship with God if he knew that it was going to be okay to break the clay tablets that God had just written on but he's so mad with the people he cannot believe their idolatry and how quickly they've turned he breaks the tablets and he goes to Aaron and he said what's going on and remember Aaron's response like oh I threw the gold in the fire and whoa this golden bull came out so so this is a very again a, just, a, just a low moment in this story what should have been a celebration of God giving his people the law the people themselves turn quickly from God under the leadership of Aaron and and Moses ultimately receives the law again from God the Ten Commandments and ultimately there's restoration but it did come at a price where a great number of people in the in the camp of Israel died as a result of their idolatry and we begin to see the seeds of this this ongoing relationship with God and his people where God is proving faithful and trying to lead his people and they begin to thwart him and wander off at all of these different times in Exodus we see the giving of the law and we see that the people are being led by Moses we have the golden calf incident and the people are, are in the wilderness that leads us on to Leviticus and we're going to cover Leviticus numbers and Deuteronomy pretty quickly so remember these three promises the land the descendants and the blessing to all nations well the descendants one is going really well the people continue to grow in number uh, even though they're wandering in the wilderness and uh, they're very established there's 12 tribes named after the the uh, the sons born to Jacob that part is going really that's going well they're heading towards the right land but that's where they need to get to as the next step in this journey but before that God really wants to make sure that he establishes right relationship with the people and so what he does is he begins to give much more detail uh, about how God about how he is to be worshipped and what the relationship between God and his people will look like as they come into worship him now one of the other major major things that happened as a result of the fall is that God's close relationship with humanity was corrupted absolutely completely and you'll remember Adam and Eve they would walk with God in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden well that wasn't happening anymore because of the sinfulness of humanity God was removed from from humanity God could not be near humanity because of their sinfulness and there needed to be some way for God to be able to draw close to his people so one of the other fundamental problems that is sitting kind of in the background this whole time is that God and humanity cannot be in close relationship now you have these these moments and these individual um, snippets where God is close with one individual or another but in general God is not close with humanity in that in the sense that his presence is right there with his people 
And yes, Moses would meet God face to face. And yes, Abraham had these dramatic personal encounters with God. But these were, you know, these were just these one-off, you know, individuals or one-off incidents where Jacob wrestles with God. I mean, these are kind of isolated in some ways. And this whole idea of the blessing given to Abraham was going to be for all people, that there would be this sense of restoration between humanity and God, that still needed to be to be worked out. And Leviticus gives us some of the first real ideas of how that's going to happen. Leviticus is essentially a conversation that happens between God and Moses. Moses would go and meet God in this tent of meeting. He would go and he would go into this tent, and only Moses could go in there, and he would meet with God. And God gave the book of Leviticus to Moses in one of these conversations where they went into the tent of meeting and uh, Moses received all of these instructions and how to set up the priesthood, how to set up the system of worship. What was the tabernacle supposed to look like? And so we have what to us seems like a very complex and very complicated and strange system of worshiping God. But this was God beginning to put patterns in place and saying, look, if I am to come close to you, there needs to be bloodshed. There needs to be sacrifice. There needs to be cleansing. There needs to be washing. It's a very serious and sobering thing to come into God's presence. And we begin to learn all of those systems of worship and patterns of worship and how God is to be approached in worship, what it's like for God to be close with his people. We learn all of that through the book of Exodus. Now, God, you would think, would be really upset with Aaron after this golden calf incident, but God actually, in his grace and mercy, restores the relationship with Aaron and actually makes him high priest. One who is to intercede on behalf of the people, to mediate as he performs the sacrifices, as he goes into the, to the tabernacle, to the Holy of Holies, to God's very presence one day a year. And God sets up this whole system of worship that to us seems very strange, but to the people provided a way for them to be in close relationship with God. And so that is, that is the book of Exodus. And we see the establishing of the Levites, one of the tribes, one of the 12 tribes set apart for service for God. The people of Israel do not move at all. There's no movement in the book of Leviticus. In these other books, you'll see that they journey and they travel. But in Leviticus, they stay right there in one place. Brings us on to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers is really incidents that happen kind of focused around a, a series of journeys that the people take. So, so one of the major things that happens in the book of Numbers is that the people enter into this 40-year wandering in the desert reality. And, and how did that come about? It's, it's funny, as a child, I thought, wow, they must have traveled a really long way in 40 years. But when you look at uh, how far they actually had to go, they really did not go very far at all. And the reality was that God wanted to bring the people to a point where they were ready to take the land of Canaan, to inherit the land of Canaan. And they needed to be prepared for that moment, and they needed to be the right people for that moment. And remember, this is the land that was promised. This is one of our three driving forces in the story, that they would settle, the descendants of Abraham would settle in the right land. In order to get a good sense of what the land of Canaan actually was like, one person from each of the 12 tribes was chosen and sent as a spy into the land. 
and this happens in, num in the book of Numbers. So they go into the land, and you might remember the story. They see huge clusters of grapes, and people are like giants, and they have strong fortified cities, and ten of the twelve come back, and they say, say to Moses, yep, there's no way we can go into the land. just can't be done. Have you seen us? We're a bunch of people living in the desert. There's no way it's going to work. And you'll remember that two out of the twelve said, yep, we can do it. If God is with us, we can do it. And so what does God say? He said, all right, you are a generation of Israelites. You are a generation of descendants from Abraham that is not ready. You are not ready to take the land because you will need great faith in me if you are going to successfully conquer the land of Canaan. There's people living there. There's a lot to deal with. If this is going to be done right, I need a generation that knows what it is to live by faith and it will obey my word and go into the land. And so what happens is God said, this isn't the generation and none of you will see the land. None of you will inherit the land except for the two who believed that it could be taken. So that is why the people then begin this period of wandering in the wilderness until this generation dies in the wilderness because they were not ready to take the land. This begins a series of journeys. So the people would travel, they would journey to a spot, and then God would tell them to stop, and so they would stop. And sometimes they would stop for just a day or two, and other times they would be in one place for years. And God would move them around, and he would be, you know, they would be worshiping, sacrificing to God, and he was teaching them and raising them up, a generation that would be able to go in and inherit the land. And there's a series of journeys that happen. They move from Sinai, and they journey to a place called Kadesh. Then they go from Kadesh to Moab, and they fight battles, and they're establishing themselves as a young nation. A couple of other things that happen uh, during, the book of, uh, during the events of the book of Numbers is that you see the death of Aaron. So God had said that this generation would die out and in the wilderness, and one of the leaders that, that passes away in this time is Aaron. And the priesthood then, you know, is transferred down to his, to his sons. The other thing that happens is that they get really close to the, to the land of Canaan. They get very, very close to the land of Canaan. And, and they are ready, we think, to enter in to the promised land by the end of the book of Numbers. Again, this driving force of the fulfillment of these promises given to Abraham. And that brings us to Deuteronomy. Now, the name Deuteronomy actually, refer actually means second law. And it doesn't mean that there's an additional law that Moses receives at this point. But what it means is it's a second telling of the entire story. It's a retelling of the story. So when you get to Deuteronomy, um, it has this, this feeling of being really familiar, but also kind of feeling a little different as well. Because when you read Deuteronomy, you know basically everything that's happened because it's being retold. And what's happening is Moses gathers the people together on the edge of the land of Canaan. So they've wandered all nearly this entire 40-year period together. This generation has been born in the wilderness, raised in the wilderness, and they are on th at the edge of the land of Canaan. And Moses essentially gives them a sermon where he says, you need to be ready to enter the land of Canaan. And they are camped at the edge of the wilderness, ready to inherit the land. And Moses gives them this sermon. 
He reminds them that they came out of Egypt. He reminds them they were given the law. He reminds them of blessing that will come if they are obedient to God. He reminds them of the curses that will happen if they are disobedient to God. He gets them ready to enter into the land of Canaan and to capture and conquer the land of Canaan. Significantly, though, Moses is not going to enter into the land of Canaan, and he is going to be part of the generation that dies in the wilderness. And God, at the very end of the story of the book of Deuteronomy, God allows Moses to go up to a high place and at least see the promised land. And Moses sees it, but then Moses dies in the wilderness. And you have this incredible story of where God himself buries Moses and, um, and leadership transfers into the hands of Joshua. And so God has brought these people to the very edge of Canaan. He's brought them to a point where he is preparing them through giving them the law, giving them everything that they need in order to take and conquer the land of Canaan so that yet one more of the promises that God gave to Abraham would be fulfilled and that one more dimension to how God relates to his people would be seen more clearly. And so just by way of overview... We have the introduction of the story of the Bible and the creation account of where God creates life from all things, where God is established as the creator and sustainer of all things, where he begins to fashion this people, this Abraham's descendants, as a nation of people who will follow him, as an example of what it's like for God to be in relationship with his people. The law is given, the leadership of Moses, the wandering in the desert, and then they're brought to the very edge of the land of Canaan, ready to enter in. And that brings us to the end of the law, this first section of the story of the Old Testament. So if you have questions or comments about anything that we've covered, I just give you, give you a minute at this point to just think about that. And before we move on, and we're going to be moving on pretty quick. We're going to take a break here for about 10 minutes, but we, and then we'll, we'll jump into the next section. But we, before we just jump right ahead, it's a good point to just pause. And if there's anything in these first five books, anything or at this moment that you're like, I have a question about this, or I have a comment about this, to, I just encourage you to write it down. And then we're going to make time to try to get to all of these. You can ask us during the break, and we're trying to try to really answer all of this as it builds and as you have questions and things that you want answered and things that you want covered. So just take a moment. If you do have a question, write it down on that sheet that we gave you, that you grabbed as you come in this morning, and we'll make sure to really um, try to reply to those. We're going to have a longer period of question and answer at the very end of our session today. Um, but if you have anything that you want to just capture right now as you are at the end of the first session, then encourage you to do that, and then uh, we will uh, take a break. So take a minute to do that and then uh, let's meet back here it's pretty much 10 o'clock let's meet back at 10 after and uh, we're going to hear from Mark Morris on Joshua and the people inheriting the land of Canaan